Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 119, verses 94 through 108. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. And I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother's of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the season of Lent, we are going to be doing a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. The idea behind this series is that when you are in touch with God's Spirit inside of you, you come to embody certain qualities. And these qualities are something that come from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. He outlines what are known as the fruit of the Spirit. And these are called self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. Each week we're going to be looking at one of these and we're going to dive deep into it so that we have the opportunity to see how it truly applies to our life and then throughout that week we try to live it out so that the following Sunday it lays the foundation for what we're going to be talking about that week. So this past week we talked about the fruit or the quality of generosity and what Jesus tells us is that generosity has to do with how we define our neighbor. So our neighbor is more than just our family, our friends, and our colleagues. Jesus defines our neighbor as the strangers in our community, the people we don't know. And so true generosity is when we take responsibility for the strangers in our community who need our help, but who we are not currently aware of. And so when we start to look at generosity through Jesus' lens, that's when things change. It changes the way that we personally look at the world. And once we start looking at the world through Jesus' lens, particularly when it comes to generosity, we realize that all human beings are deserving of our generosity. They are deserving of our help. And this lays the foundation for what we're going to be talking about this week, which is gentleness. Now, gentleness is something that all of us can really use during this difficult time where we're at home and we're sequestered away and where we're kind of stuck with the people around us. And being next to those people, it can be challenging, it can be difficult. And so having this quality in our lives, I think, is really applicable to what we're dealing with in this day and time. So gentleness is often something that we conflate with kindness. But kindness has to do more with our actions. So if I hold the door for somebody when I'm walking into a store. Well, that is considered to be a kindness, a kind action. And it's reflective of somebody who has good manners. Indeed, this is where the word gentleman actually comes from. So a gentleman is someone who is well-versed in the etiquette of how to treat someone with dignity and respect. The original classical definition of a gentleman comes from somebody who was associated with the nobility. 
And because they were part of the nobility, they didn't have to work for a living. And therefore, what ended up distinguishing them was their ability to get an education and their social graces. Now, I think we all know that when it comes to gentleness, it's more than simply having good manners. Very similar to what we're talking about when it comes to generosity, gentleness is a state of being. It's something that comes from a place deep inside of us. The problem when it comes to gentleness is that people often perceive a gentle spirit or a gentle heart as a weakness. And so when somebody does have a gentle heart or a gentle spirit, what we find is that the people around them, there are people who will try to take advantage of that. And that is exactly what happens in the parable that we read this morning of the prodigal son. So essentially Jesus sets up this parable that there are three characters. There's a father and two sons. And the younger son approaches his father and demands his inheritance. Now, obviously, this would be horribly insulting to the father because what this younger son is saying to him is that your money matters more to me than you do. And in fact, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Now, practically, it would be very, very difficult for the father to fulfill such a request because it would require the liquidation of land and assets, which could be quite complex for a family of means. For the hearers of Jesus' parable in this day and time, they would have understood fundamentally that this request would have severed the relationship between father and son, that it would have essentially cut him off from his family. In reality, if a son had actually come to his father and asked for this, more than likely the father would have said, no, you can have your money when I'm dead, assuming I don't kill you first. But this father is different. This father has a very gentle heart, and so the younger son knows that he's probably going to comply with his wishes. So he ends up getting his inheritance, and he moves to a foreign land where he ends up indulging his every desire. So he eats as much food as he can, he drinks day and night, he sleeps with prostitutes, and gambles away his inheritance. The word prodigal comes from the Latin word prodigious, which literally means lavish. And so the prodigal son is one who's living a lavish lifestyle. And he does this until one day he runs out of money. And facing starvation, he ends up seeking employment with a pig farmer, where the pigs eat better than he does. Now, given that Jesus' audience wouldn't get anywhere near a pig because of the kosher laws in the Old Testament, they would have felt like this younger son was truly getting his just desserts. But in the story, what happens is that this younger son, he starts thinking back to when he was living with his father and, and how he had the opportunity when he was there to view his father's slaves. And his father's slaves lived pretty well. His workers ate better than he was eating. And so he resolves that what he's going to do, he's going to travel back to his dad. He's going to beg his forgiveness and he's going to become one of his father's servants, one of his father's workers. So he starts making the trip back, and he's anticipating how his father is going to receive him after seeing him again. Now, he's thinking that he's probably going to get an icy cold reception, because his father may have been very gentle in giving him his inheritance, but now that he's wasted it all, he's anticipating that his father is going to really revel in being able to get him back, to have revenge on him. He's assuming that his father's anger has really built up 
over the years towards his son and how satisfying it's going to be to see his son crawling back to him, begging for forgiveness. But then when the son is off in the distance, the father sees him coming. And rather than be angry, he ends up running out to meet his son. And he doesn't get mad. He doesn't yell at him. In fact, he embraces him. He draws him close. And the younger son, he, he's trying to make his case for why the father should accept him back. But the father doesn't really seem to be listening to any of that. Instead, he calls for one of his servants. And he says to him, I want you to go get my finest robe. And I want you to kill the fatted calf. For we need to celebrate. Because the son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He's lost and has been found. So in this way, the father is not angry, and he has not lost his gentleness. If anything, his gentleness has grown during his son's absence, which we can see through his embrace. Now, I think it's important for us to take a moment to talk about each of the characters in this story. So we have the father, and of course, the father represents what the father represents in every one of Jesus' parables. He represents God. The prodigal son is a little bit more complicated. So the prodigal son, he probably represents a person who has turned their back on God and has embraced a life of selfishness. Now this might sound kind of simplistic, but this is really getting at what we see in the story. But then there's a third character, a character who we haven't really talked about up to this point, which is the older brother. Now the older brother, he's out in the fields, he's working, and this older brother hears all the commotion back at the house, and he asks one of the servants, hey, what's going on? And they say, oh, well, your younger brother's returned, and your father is throwing a celebration in his honor, which causes the older brother to become irate. He goes and he finds the father, and he's so angry, he dresses him up and down, and he says, look, I've been obedient to you all this time. I spent all this time working for you. I've done everything that you've asked of me. And never once did you throw a party in my honor. And now your younger son, he returns and he's wasted his inheritance on women and gambling. And you're going to throw a celebration in his honor? And it's very interesting what the father says at this moment. The father says to him, look, everything I have is yours. And you can do with it what you will. But this brother of yours, he was lost, has been found. He was dead and now he's alive. And so we have to celebrate. Now what's so amazing about this parable that Jesus tells is that it's communicating to us something very fundamental about who God is and what God means to us as Christians. So what this parable tells us is that core to who we believe God is, is that our God is a God of unconditional love. Now, we use unconditional love all the time, right? We say that, but what does it mean? Well, unconditional love means there is nothing you can do that will cause God to reject you. No matter how sinister or vile or wicked your actions might be, God will never, never reject you. God will always be there with open arms, the door is always open, welcoming you to return. And we see that with the Father in this parable, which of course is not what we're expecting. We're expecting that the prodigal son has burned all his bridges, that there's no way that he's going to be accepted back, that the Father is going to hold all of the wrongs that he's committed against him. But he doesn't hold those wrongs against him. In fact, He's willing to show him grace. 
Now, grace is one of those churchy words. We use it all the time, but we don't often define what it means. So, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with me on this, grace is an undeserved gift. Another way you could put it is unmerited favor. Grace is when you receive this amazing and unexpected gift, even though you are absolutely not deserving of it. Now, grace is very much linked up with this idea of gentleness. Because what you will find is that people who have very gentle hearts, that these people, they also tend to show a lot of grace to those who are suffering. And in my experience, I've actually found that this spirit or this quality of gentleness that people have, that it's actually quite rare. And it's rare because most of us are like the older brother. So when the prodigal son returns home, how does the older brother react? Does the older brother want his younger brother to be shown grace and be forgiven? No, not in the least. He wants him to suffer. And this is how most of the world is. So most of the world, the way that we operate, is that we are like the older son. When we look at the world, we want to give even. There's something inside of us. And that's what that older son represents. He represents our natural inclination to want to get even. When somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them in return. And what I found to be true is that when this happens enough, this eye for an eye, truth for a truth mentality, we come to expect it in our lives. And it drains the gentleness out of us. I've come to find that the people who have had the most difficult time in their lives, the people who have been hurt by the people and the circumstances around them, that these people, they tend to have almost no gentleness in their lives. They walk around carrying all of that hurt and pain. They're unwilling to let it go. And as a result, they become hardened on the inside. I want to tell you a story about that hardening in my own life. So when I was 11 years old, living in Virginia, my mother decided that she was going to get me into the Boy Scouts. She's like, you got to do something, I'm going to get you into the Boy Scouts. Now, unlike the very kind and nurturing parents who we have here who run the troop that's associated with our church, the men who ran my Boy Scout troop were all these ex-military guys who had seen combat in Vietnam. So I don't think gentleness is a word that you would associate with these guys in any way, shape, or form. They were kind of hyper-masculine, very man's man kind of guys who created that type of environment within the troop. Now I, on the other hand, was the super sensitive kid who had almost no self-confidence whatsoever. So you can imagine that this is a really bad combination. They have almost no sensitivity, and I am overly sensitive, and so you can see how it was just kind of like a gasoline, gasoline in a match. It was just going to light up at some point. And on top of all of this, I didn't get along super well with all of the kids in the troop because they were from the country, and I was from the city. We just looked at the world in completely different ways. Now, I lasted probably about a year and a half in that troop before I ended up leaving. And the reason that I left is because I was just treated so poorly by the various members of that troop. And I could give you a lot of different stories of how that happened. But one story that really sticks out in my mind was when we were coming back from a camping trip. 
and we've been driving for many, many hours, and we stopped off to get something to eat. Now, at the time, what's important for you to understand is that my family didn't have a whole lot of money. So after the 1987 stock market crash, my father's business just went to nothing. And so we were struggling for a long time just to pay our bills. So they didn't have a lot of extraneous income for me to do activities like Boy Scouts. So when I went on these trips, I often had no money. And so I looked to the Boy Scout leaders and the troop leaders and they were like, don't look at me, I'm not giving you any money. And so eventually one of the kids, he handed me a dollar. And I remember specifically saying, well, at least I have one friend. And the leader of the Boy Scout troop, he looked down at me and he said, no, you don't have any friends here. Now, looking back on that as an adult, I understand very, very well that he was probably just joking. But at the time, it didn't feel like he was joking. At the time, it felt like he was highlighting my feelings of unworthiness. And the truth is, I didn't need another person who was pointing out my weaknesses. I was being harassed at school by my peers mercilessly. And so to have an adult join in on it just felt like it was adding insult to injury. What I needed was somebody who could see how all the pains and burdens that I was going through, how those things were suffocating me. What I needed was somebody who could see how I was hurting. What I needed was a gentle hand to guide me forward. And the Boy Scout leaders were simply not going to provide that for me. As I got older, I came to realize that hypermasculinity that these men had, that it's very much a shield that many men use to be able to guard their pain and their emotions. It's where they stuff it away. It's a shield that they use to try to block out their emotions and to mask their insecurities. And I don't really say that as a judgment against them because the truth is, is that I walked down the exact same path. The road that they were on is the road that I was on for a long time because I eventually started dealing with all of the difficult things that I had come up with through my childhood and my adolescence. So I've told you all in previous sermons that when I was 18 years old, I was working out for six hours a day. My goal was to get as big and strong and intimidating as possible. My personality was super abrasive. I was angry all the time. And my goal was to create this impenetrable armor around me so that no one could ever hurt me again. But what's interesting is after I had formed that armor, I found that not all was well. That in fact, as much as I thought I was impenetrable, that things were kind of spiraling out of control for me. So I found myself getting in verbal and physical altercations. I found myself making rash and impulsive decisions. I found myself in a place where I simply didn't have the control over my life that I thought I had. And it all culminated in me having to go to therapy. And when I was sitting with my therapist, my therapist helped me to understand that one of the biggest issues that I was facing in my life and the source of my suffering and my struggles was that I was unwilling to let go of the pain and the suffering in my life, that I was holding on to that. And as we went through my therapy, once I got to the other side of it, what I came to realize is that I started looking at things completely differently. So I started reading the Bible again, and as I was reading the Bible, I came to realize that I was 
looking at these Bible verses in completely different ways, and one of them that really struck me was this verse that I read from Matthew. And the verse goes like this. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, up until that point in time, I didn't see myself as someone who really needed to have my burdens lifted from me. I didn't see myself as someone who needed that kind of rest. But the fact is, is that I was weary, and I really did need rest for my soul. And as I read through all of this in the scriptures, it kind of struck me how Jesus was going about doing this. So he was able to lift our burdens through his gentleness, which I found to be kind of paradoxical. How does somebody who is gentle lift our burdens? Don't you have to be strong to be able to lift those heavy weights that we carry with us everywhere in our lives? And this is when I came to realize that gentleness and restoration are really two sides of the same coin. So those who invest deeply in the spiritual discipline of gentleness, these are people who are able to forgive, they're able to set their burdens aside, and they're able to find ways for restoration. And you can see this actually in the parable of the prodigal son. So the father, he does not hold all of the wrongs that his younger son transgressed against him against his son. He's willing to forgive those things, and that is because he is a gentle person, or he's a gentle man. Whereas the older son, he does hold on to it. He still feels that hurt and pain, and so he does not want to forgive his younger brother. But you see what happens in this particular instance is because the father is willing to let go of those things, it actually allows him to move forward. He creates space for restoration so that he can actually renew his relationship with his son. And this is why, in my opinion, gentleness is one of the most important fruits of the Spirit because it is what leads us to reconciliation. You see, it is through gentleness that we are able to show other people grace. And it is through grace that we are able to create healing because we're able to forgive. And so gentleness is really the source of healing in our world. And I have to say that this is exactly what Jesus did for me. Jesus was willing to show me that gentleness. And as a result, I was able to let go of all of that hurt and pain. I was able to forgive those people who had hurt me when I was younger. And now I've dedicated my life to restoration. And I hope that the same thing will be true for you. My prayer for you this morning is that you might be willing to adopt a spirit of gentleness in your life. I hope that you're able to let go of all the people who have hurt you throughout the years, that you're willing to forgive those people who have brought you to your knees, that you're willing to seek out restoration in your life. But most importantly, I hope that you will remember Jesus' words, where he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen.
Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.